it simple, keep it small, and there will be enough for all. Take a little, give a lot. Thank Mother Earth and Father Sky for what you've got. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Green Women Podcast. I'm your host, Reggie and a member of the Green Women Leadership Initiative. As Green Women, we are passionate about growing our lives and being activists for deep concerns about self-care practices, women's issues, healthy living, nature healing, the environment and climate change, social justice and activism, and living in harmony with Mother Earth. We are artists, educators, coaches, therapists, grandmothers, green mamas, and we are wrapping our lives and work around making a difference in our world. So today's episode, I would like to talk about signs of climate crisis that are all around us. This summer, it seems like we are all noticing definite signs of climate, not just change, but climate crisis. So I'm going to go through a few things that I have been seeing and see if you are seeing the same things. First, I would like to say, as a green woman myself, I make self-care a priority and I do listen to what my body is telling me. So over the last couple of weeks, I needed a little rest and relaxation. So I was off the air for those weeks doing a little fishing, boating, up to the lake in Wisconsin with some girlfriends, and getting in some family time with kids and grandkids. But this summer is different. For years, we've been talking about climate change, but I believe we are now in a climate crisis status. Also, I am passionate about our, and very concerned about our water situation across the globe. And due to my curious nature, I have been doing a lot of research and reading about our climate crisis. And yes, paying definitely close um, attention to what the news and what everybody else is saying. So I'd like to start off with a quote about climate change from Barack Obama. Climate change is no longer some far off problem. It is here and it is happening now. Our Green Women's founders, Helene and Dave Van Manen, this past summer, they toured the arid west, starting from Colorado, moving through New Mexico, Utah, California, and Oregon. Their destination was to get to Crater Lake, but the fires didn't allow that to happen. They really wanted to take this trip to experience everything that they could in what's happening with climate change. They shared their journey along the way. They'd put posts on Facebook and send pictures. And it showed extremely hot weather, smokes-filled skies, and many drought-stricken areas. Many farmers' crops are being destroyed from the heat, drought conditions, and difficulty getting water, as there has been limited rain or no rain. And at the same time, the eastern United States is getting too much rain. (laughs) Here in Minnesota, we have had more days in the 90s than ever before. As well as a state that's humid during the summer, we have now added hazy, 
smoky skies from the forest fires in Canada and in the boundary waters now in Minnesota, as well as in the arid western United States. In my travels across Minnesota this summer, I have noticed that the Mississippi River, which is one of America's major river systems, has been getting lower and lower. And it's now some so low in some places that the sandbars are showing. And as we cross some of the bridges, we see people walking on them. You never could get there before. In fact, on our local news just last night, it stated that the city of St. Paul is initiating water restrictions with fines and shutoffs. The Mississippi River's flow has been reduced and in a drought situation throughout all of Minnesota. Even though we're known the land of 10,000 lakes, our lakes are much lower. We are down 11 inches of rain for the year so far. And the Mississippi River is also running about a quarter of its normal flow. There's a town, um, a city, um, a fairly large city. It's got a college in it, about an hour or 45 minutes away from us. And it's called the city of St. Cloud. And it draws its drinking water from the supply of the river, which a lot of cities do. The Minnesota DNR Water Conservation Resources says that when the river gets low, the DNR issues suspensions to farms and other surface water users to make sure that the cities like St. Cloud still have enough drinking water. You know, and a lot of cities do do that, so that's nothing unusual. But they have sent suspension notices um, to surface water appropriators that are upstream so that the farmers are having to find alternate water sources if they can, or they just have to make and do without. I also heard the other day on the radio that there are many people moving to rural areas since they can work from home now from the COVID crisis, that they need to have wells drilled. But many of the wells also are dry out there. And it's also difficult finding these drillers to drill these wells because they don't have enough people. So it is a huge issue. The Mississippi River is part of a river system that also meets with the flow of the Missouri River from Montana and the St. Louis and River and Jefferson Rivers down to the Gulf. This waterway system is so important to the United States as barges transport goods from the Gulf and once the waterways are too low, the barges are unable to deliver those goods. Then I heard on Monday the federal government declared a water shortage on the Colorado River. That 95% of the West was in a drought as of last week, the largest area in history of the U.S. Drought Monitor. The Colorado River supplies water to more than 40 million people living across the seven United States and Mexico. And then the United Nations reported a release last week emphasized the role human-caused climate change plays in drought frequency and intensity. Globally, droughts that may have occurred only once every 10 years or so now happen 70% more frequently and is especially strong in the Western United States, those scientists said. Brad Udall, 
is a senior water and climate scientist at Colorado State University stated, not only do we have a plan for these undesirables water outcomes, but we also have to get our act together to and reduce greenhouse gases as fast as we can. Here's another quote that relates to this. It is, and this is by Bill Nye, the science guy. It's not that the world hasn't had more carbon dioxide. It's not that the world hasn't been warmer. The problem is the speed at which things are changing. We are inducing a sixth mass extinction event kind of by accident, and we don't want to be the extent extincti. Talking about the severity of the drought and climate crisis in the western part of the United States, I found an interesting report called the Report on the Lands of the Arid Regions of the United States, which was first published in 1878 by an explorer, scientist, geologist, and anthropologist named John Wesley Powell. So this John Powell was actually asked by Congress back then to go out to the western part of the United States because the states hadn't been developed yet. And they needed to know how to develop them for, you know, agriculture, for people to live, and who could live where, and how it would all grow. So he went out there. And one of the things that I found interesting is that he reported to discourage the practice of dividing government land into arbitrarily rectangular plots for settlement, arguing that this technique ran a risk of concentrating valuable water resources on single plots, leaving adjacent plots unable to be settled, farmed, or used for pasture. And He also reported in a section of it that said 160 acres of dry western land would be too little to support grazing due to the sparse vegetation and also too little for agriculture without irrigation due to the scarce water availability. He was sent out to the arid west to determine how to set up the Western United States. And when he showed a map of the watersheds and how the water flows in conjunction with the mountains and the rivers, and that the states should be formed in conjunction with those watersheds. So when you look at the map, if you go online and find the report and look at the map, the it doesn't look like the states do now. The watersheds are actually more round and they overlap and they they go kind of in a circular or a peanut kind of shape. And he said that the states should be formed around those watersheds. And actually, when you even look at the map, California on the west side of the Sierras, there was, there's no watersheds there. And consequently, he had suggested that nothing should be done on that edge of California, which is now California. Well, Congress just scoffed at him. He used the map to unfold an argument that America should move cautiously then as it plumbed its natural resources and developed the land, and to introduce the idea of sustainability and stewardship of the earth. 
Paula would proffer a wholly new outlook by claiming that Americans needed to listen, not only to their hearts. Now he's talking to Congress and all the people that, you know, wanted to go out to the Great West. So their hearts were, you know, raging to go out there, their pocketbooks and their deep aspirations of developing the West, but to what the land itself and the climate would tell them. Now, I would like to give you a quote from Franklin D. Roosevelt. A nation that destroys its soils destroys itself. Forests are the lungs of our land, purifying the air and give fresh strength to our people. So then my curiosity led me to find out who or what is using all this water? Since we're in this big drought, where is all the water going? I mean, I know we are not getting the rain that we did either, and that's another whole subject. But is it our daily living of consuming water by showering, cooking, and all of those tasks? Or are there other consumers of water that are using more water than just as humans? I mean, yes, there are, I think, 7.5 billion people on the earth trying to use water, so in my research and my curiosity again, it was an eye-opening um, discovery. There are top five industries that consume the most water, and why should we care? Well, the Water Resource Group says that water demand is expected to exceed, exceed current supply by 40% by 2030, which is only 10 years away. 40%? We're already using the water. <laughs> But what all, it also states that water scarcity is also caused by water resource mismanagement. Now, I guess I never really thought about mismanagement, but it's really true. So when I talk about mismanagement, it's like, I know that we're taking showers that I have the water isn't flowing really hard or the kitchen sink or bathroom sink. We don't put it on real hard. It's more of down of a really slow flow. If I have a little extra water left over from something, you know, that's clean, I put it in the coffee pot. Um, I drink it, I water my plants. So you know, it's just managing our water. So who's using most of this water? Well, the fruit and vegetable farming, which is part of our agriculture, obviously we know they're using it. And agriculture actually used the most water out of the aquifers, as well as uh, raising cattle. So the fruit and vegetable farming have high wheat, not wheat, I'm sorry, high water consumption. And some of those are wheat, corn, rice, cotton, and sugar. And I saw a statistic that said a five pound bag of sugar uses 889 gallons of water. Wow, that, that just blew my mind, some of these. I'm gonna give you some more and some of these just blew my mind. Another industry is garments and textiles. And they're the number two, one of the most water intensive industries in the world. A single pair of jeans requires 2,866 gallons of water used for fabric dyeing processes as well as wet processing. A single pair of jeans. How many of you people out there love your jeans? I know I love my jeans. 2,866 gallons for a pair of jeans. And the meat production. We know we've heard a lot about that. 
and it uses a lot of water, almost a third of the water footprint in total aggregate agricultural production, which is 29% of total agriculture and one third of that to raise cattle. And then there's the beverage industry, number four, juices, sodas, beers, etc. It takes 180 to 320 gallons to produce a two liter bottle of soda. I'm going to say that again, 180 to 320 gallons to produce a a two liter bottle of soda. And how many liters of bottles of soda do we see everywhere? And that doesn't even include the plastic (laughs) in it. And it takes 20 gallons of water to make one pint of beer, 20 gallons of water. And get this one, everyone, 37 gallons of water to produce the ingredients to make a single cup of coffee. Now, I'm not going to give up my coffee, but I'm sure cognizant of how much water all this is produced needs. And then number five, the automotive manufacturing uses 39,000 gallons to produce the average domestic car. And there are many other industries that are using water also, but these were just some of the top five. And like I said, it blew my mind away. But I did do some reading too. And yes, there are some manufacturers that have started to implement some better manage, water management and are reducing um, the activities that they use so that they can get a higher, um, use less water. So why am I sharing this information with all of you? Well, because fires, when we have fires, they don't help us for our clean air that we need to breathe. And the trees and the vegetation give off oxygen for our health. So we need them. Droughts make matters worse uh, for humans. They make it worse because we're composed of 60% water, not to mention that we have other species that inhabit this earth and vegetation, and we all have a need for water. Here's a quote by Greta Thunberg. Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. I want you to act. I want you to act as you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house is on fire because it is. And she's correct. Our home is earth. Now, we can talk about climate change, but we have been talking about the change for years and have not really seen all that much of a change. But I am talking about the global picture. We need to come together with all the science that is across the world. I believe we are really in a climate crisis all over the world. And the next level is catastrophic. We can no longer look at humanity as black, white, brown, yellow, American Indian, indigenous people, etc. We need to come together as one humanity and to fix these issues, or none of us are going to survive. And the last quote I have for you, which is an Indian proverb. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. 
We borrow it from our children. Now, I would like to give you all a big thank you for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this podcast or tell a friend, download it and subscribe. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. Until next time, stay informed, be healthy, live green and become an activist for Mother Earth, our true home. Keep it simple. Keep it small And there will be enough for all Take a little Give a lot Thank Mother Earth and Father Sky For what you've got